about the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are lustful pleasures, dot, dot, dot. That's where we left off. We're comparing the desires of the flesh and our sinful nature and how our sinful nature craves these things. It desires these things. And the first three are sexual. Sexual immorality, impure, lustful pleasures. And so I, I told you guys a long time ago when, when we kind of embarked on this journey that this environment, this group, our entire journey, our cause, our vision is to discover the character of God. And I was really surprised when God laid on my heart that his character is revealed in sex, which was kind of awkward. You don't want to hear about sex from, like, your father or your God, you know? You know it's kind of like your, your, your earthly father saying, hey, how's that sex going? Or, hey, need a couple pointers? Or, you know, you're just like, you don't want to, like, no, like, I, I don't want, you know, I don't want to talk to you about this stuff. Reconcile God and sex and pleasure and all those kind of funny words. And uh, I look back at the camera that's back there. We, we live stream the services, and hello, everybody out there. And uh, my, my family uh, knows that I kind of do this stuff, but they don't know, you know, specifically topics. And family out there, will you please, you know, cut it off, stop the tape, do whatever. And uh, uh, just as a joke, and they haven't, you know, tuned in before. And so I get home late last night, or late that night, and I turn on The Office, which is kind of our routine. We get home, we watch Dwight and Michael Scott and all the, the NBC shows. And uh, I get a phone call from my family at 11. I was like, ooh. This can't be good, you know. And uh, sure enough, that was the first time they had watched live. I was like, oh, dang it. So, um, hi, Mom and Dad, if you're, if you're listening, please shut it off. <clears throat> so, uh, that, that is kind of where we were. But let me give you a, a couple things. Uh, a few things is that we have a text messaging service that's pretty cool. It makes this environment more dynamic. Um, I don't want to have a roaming mic and have you feel free to ask any sexual questions you like. <laughs> Um, that would be awkward for both of us. So uh, we have this service here, and if you're not a part of the uh, text messaging service, it's really easy to join. You simply text the phrase "Join Epic" to that number two six zero seven nine seven three one eight seven. Anybody online can do that too two six zero seven nine seven three one eight seven, and then you text the word "Join" or the phrase "Join Epic," and without a little old say, "Okay, we have permission to interact." Once that is done, it'll send you back a, uh, a, a confirmation, say, I want to join, yes. So do that. Then you're good. So you can text any question you want to that number then. And what it'll do is it'll go to our service, and it'll send it back down to my phone. I don't know who it is, um, so you don't need to worry about, about that, but it's open for any questions. So that's going to be, that slide will be up here for in between the message points. Um, if you have any questions, any thoughts, any feedback on the message, send that, and then I have a, a part at the end where we can talk about that like we did last time. Got it? All right. So let's catch up. If you missed last time where we went. Last time we talked, um, gave a whole overview of, of sex and pornography and different things in our culture. And I won't spend a lot of time on these, but just to catch up is that the average number of sexual partners for a man is 20. And the female is 6. This is inclusive of all Christians and everybody. This is just Americans. Average for the men is 20 different sexual partners and women is 6. 26 million people have weekly encounters with someone other than their spouse. 26 million people each week are engaging in sexual encounters with someone other than their uh, wife or husband. 65% of American teenagers uh, have had sex before they finish high school. 
29% of people have had sex on the first date. Then we look at pornography. These are fun stats, too. 89% of all porn is created here in the U.S. The porn industry is a $97 billion industry. $97 billion gets spent on porn. That is more than all professional sports, football, basketball, baseball, including Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Apple, Netflix, Earthlink. All that combined is what just pornography industry is. Just to give you a little bit of an idea of how big $97 billion is. And then also over $3,000 per second is spent on porn, and 260 porn sites go up per day. So that, that is our culture. That is where we are at. That is the reality of our existence of U.S. culture where you and I live. And one of the things I was pressed on about speaking on this is that I feel that, that our culture doesn't have a whole lot of people that are far removed from us to talk about this the way that maybe I feel that I've I'm recently been in because I've been married five years. I'm 27. I'm not too far off. And I feel that I've, I've gone through the cycle of having internet pornography so widely accessible and available. I've been married for only five years. I'm not that far removed from dating and relationships and all the freshness of, like, all the challenges that comes with, with being in this culture. And so I want to talk about these things. And, and the, the whole entire point is that I think that our culture is totally scamming us on this thing called sex. We're totally being, have the wolf taken over our eyes about what it is. And we are, as a culture, losing the battle for what sex is. That was the whole crux of it. And I'll tell you what it is. Sex, I believe, is the closest earthly representation to Christ's love that we can experience. Sex in of itself is the closest physical experience that we can have with the heart of God. That is what sex is. But we have all these different things. If you've grown up in kind of a Christian culture, I like to call this like the, the, the sexual pendulum. They have one camp on here that, you know, maybe you were, you were, you know, grew up in a way where it's like sex is bad, 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 bad. You know, it's almost like a bad dog that's, you know, peed on your carpet, you know, or something. You just, you know, get the newspaper out and whack its nose or something. You know, you have this whole entire, like, you are ingrained and punished and told that everything sexual, everything you know, is, is horrible and, you know, bad, bad, bad. And then the other side of it is interesting because it's, it's kind of the opposite. It's like sex is this unattainable holy grail on the horizon. And you idolize your, you know, the, the sex that someday you'll be having. And, and so you live your life completely going for just this one day that somehow would be out there. And you think that sex is going to solve all the problems of, of the world, or at least your world. And and so I think we have these two different pendulums, and maybe some of us have, have crossed between those two lines. And I don't think our, our modern-day church does a very good job of balancing this out. We're kind of in one camp or the other. And really, as, as I'll kind of back up this point, is that, that this thing, this thing, sex that we're battling with, has been hijacked by Satan, has been hijacked by our culture. And it is in the purest form in a sex environment for a covenant relationship, that is marriage, how God designed it, is the most intimate experience to God's heart. It's pretty radical. Kind of gets us uncomfortable. But here, here's how you, you can look at it. Ephesians 5.25, I'll paraphrase, it says, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined with a woman, and the two will become one. Not like, hey, we're going to go live life together, but become one sexually. And it says, this is a mystery but it is Christ's love for the church, is what it explains that. It says, it doesn't make sense why this would take place, but this is the great mystery of the world. But supernaturally, it is Christ's love. That's the metaphor. That is the example. That's why that takes place. 
John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, to know you, the one eternal God, and to know Jesus Christ, the one who you sent to earth. You're like, I'm not feeling the whole sex vibe there. Well, you'd have to know that the, the word to know you is a sexual no. If you look in Genesis and it says that Adam knew Eve, it's like, you know Eve, you know. If someone asks me, hey, do you know Camille? It's like, oh, I know Camille, you know. You know, I kind of do like one of these things, like it's a sexual no. It's, it's not just a, oh, I know who you are, you know. It is the most intimate, I know every last little detail, intimate detail that you don't want to even think about, talk about, whatever. That's the no. And this is saying, this is eternal life, that we would know God sexually. Whoa. What? That we would, how, how, that doesn't really work, it, you know. But that's what the, the text says, to know God in that sexual, intimate way. And then this one really gets you, uh, you, you tripping out is, is 1 Corinthians 7, 3, 5, and it talks about how, you know, husbands and wives don't withhold your bodies from each other. It says, fulfill each other's sexual desires and needs. And only, only stop. He's like, oh, first off, don't have, don't stop having sex. Do not stop. But if you must, do it for a moment, for just a time, but then come back together. Why? Because Satan won't have a foothold. It's like, Wow. So sex is like this antidote to Satan. That's kind of crazy. And also you can get into there about, you know, that God wants the maximum sexual pleasure for you, which that kind of gets, you know, gets me. It's like, I, I don't like those two worlds colliding. You know, you don't like to do like a praise Jesus, hallelujah, sanctification in the middle of, you know. That. But, but that, that's basically what the text is telling us. This is, this is the undefiled heart of God. In this context, the scriptures show us that this is God's heart in the purest form. But it's been completely hijacked. We, it gets us uncomfortable to think about that. But this is the pure and undefiled heart that God has for us, and it is manifested in the sexual act, if you can believe that. Can I get an amen out there? Is this like, whew, like relief to some of us that are like, man, I hate this topic, you know? Um, I find this really freeing. I, I hate feeling that, like, the, the culture has these lies and these myths about that sex is going to be horrible in marriage, and how could you only stay with one person, and, and married sex is, you know, boring and tame in one position, and all these different things, and, you know, you have all these, you know, things that go on, and, and everyone's getting uncomfortable right now, and, 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 but, but essentially, it's like, I, I hate it that, that sex has been hijacked, and so God is saying here, it's like, I invented this. I invented this. This is, this is my, my heart with you is, is represented here. So you better know that I can allow you to have a good sex life. Crazy. Crazy. So a few conclusions that we drew from all this was that first is that sex is worship. Ugh. It is. I mean, the, the text, sex is worship to God. He created it. He's honored by it. He commands it. It's awesome. Next is sex is a weapon against Satan. We read that in... 1 Corinthians, that only stop for a moment unless, you know, the enemy is going to come in there and distract you and, and pull division in you. So sex is a weapon against Satan. And then the last is that sex should be amazing. It should be amazing. It should be the best experience in your entire life. Does that bother anybody? But you think about it, that, that God's entire reputation, if, if all this is true— and there's tons of other scriptures to back up. If all of this is true, then wouldn't you think that God's entire reputation is residing on this thing called sex in your life? You better believe that he wants it to be awesome. 
How you feeling? Is that good? So that's where we left off. Now, the, the whole entire conclusion to that is that because of all this is that Satan wants to distort every little detail about sex. Because sex is at the heart of God's reputation, at the heart of God's existence, Satan wants to do every single thing he can to distort it, to twist it, to do all that. Okay? That is why we have all the stuff, all the stats, all the porn, all the whatever. That is why. And this is why God makes such a big deal about it in our culture. It's because he knows that the enemy has dominion here in our society, in our culture. He knows that the enemy is going to hijack the thing that is closest to God's heart. That's reality. So, two goals for tonight. Two things that were, were felt kind of left off is that how do you guard yourself from this? How do you practically put a couple things into action that help you kind of navigate this thing while pursuing God's heart, which is pure and undefiled, while yet living in an X-generated or X-rated generation? So that's one goal. The second goal is to talk about redemption. I think it's too easy for us to, you know, talk about these things, and, and I mean, all of us have missed the mark. Real quick, why don't you all stand up really quick. Give someone a huge high five and say, you're awesome. Come on. And now all you guys say, but we suck, all right? You're awesome, but we suck, okay? All right. And this is why, is that every single one of us, every single one of us, there's not one in this room that does not have to deal about this and have the redemptive discussion about your heart with God in this topic. We all suck. I'm going to use strong language there. Sorry about that. But we do. Not, not one of us is, is excluded from this or omitted. It affects every single one of us. So the first thing, I got to sit down with a good buddy of mine this week and kind of grill him about his life experiences, and, and I, I credit him for helping uh, bring some real tangible, real-life uh, uh, meat to this. Um, and his whole thing was that, you know, you should check yourself and get your crap together, is his words. Check yourself. The first thing that I, I think about checking yourself is that you need to check out God's will for you and for sex. And you'd like to think those as two separate things, but check out God's will for you and God's will for your sex. It's in there. You want to know where? You can write this down. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. And just scribble this down later. Everyone comes and says, Oh, what is the will of God? If only I knew the will of God. You know, and it says it right here. It says, This is the will of God. <laughs> It's off to a good start. You know, like, that's a good way to begin it. This is the will of God to be holy and to stay away from all sexual sin. Wow. It's, it's right there. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. This is God's will for you to be holy and stay away from all sexual sin. That's awesome. I mean, how, how clear is that? That God wants us to stay away from sexual sin. Awesome. But we need to, to, to come to grips that God has a will and a purpose for us and that God has a will and a purpose for our sex life. And, and if, in the context that sex is God's heart and God's character and God's existence and God's passion for us, it makes perfect sense that this is the will of God that you would stay away from the imitations, that you would stay away from the distractions, from the destruction, from all the imitations that are out there, that you would stay away from that. Why? Because it's at the undefiled, pure heart. The second thing is to be satisfied with Jesus. Here's a second practical tip. 
navigating this is that you need to find a way to deal with yourself and who you are in God. Until you do that, you are going to be chasing every last thing in your life to find fulfillment. It's not going to be found in jobs or money or a car or a house or any of these different things. Your existence can only be filled and satisfied by Jesus. Each one of us have these internal voids that we have, and it's longing for God because God authored that in our place. And so until we come to grips that who we are in Jesus and who we are as his son or daughter, we will never be able to be satisfied. And what a lot of us do is because we're insecure, we don't know what that is. Our insecurity drives our sexual immorality. Can I get an amen on that one? Our insecurities drive our temptations to be sexual in an inappropriate way that defiles the heart of God. Show me someone that struggles sexually, and I will show you someone that struggles with respect for themselves, first off, and for others. Because you don't respect the boundaries. You don't respect the other person's existence and the covenant that God has reserved for that. That's heavy stuff. You hear that? Is that unless we become content and filled with Jesus, is that we're not going to be able to really satisfy this insatiable desire to go hook up. Because the desire to hook up is being driven by this thing. like, I need to feel a certain way, and I know that this person can make me feel that way, at least for a moment. I've always said, if you want to get married, because re- that's the other thing, what is God's will? How do I find a man? How do I find a woman? And this is what I always say. It's like, if you want to be married, run as hard and as fast to God. Forget everything else. Run as hard and as fast as you can to God. And then in the middle of that, once you're at full sprint— Just turn around and look and see who's running next to you. It's perfect. It works marvelously. I promise. But what we do is we we sit in neutral and we're like, well, I can't run to God until I kind of, you know, you know, maybe there's there's some cute person at church. Maybe I'll go to church because I want to meet somebody. You know, that one's always fun too. But you got the the order backwards. You want to first run to God and be content with who you are in him because God loves us so much. And a lot of us are trying to fill the imitation in our hearts. And it's so destructive. The third thing is your actions. You need to check your actions. Romans, thir- Romans 13 verse 14 says this. This is a great one. Just scribble down if you can. Romans 13, 14. Come back and read this later. And this basically says, Don't make a provision for the flesh. Don't make a provision for the flesh. Romans 13, 14. You know what this means? It's like, if I have an issue with alcohol, I'm like, man, finished work. I can really go for some peanuts and pretzels. Maybe I'll go to the bar. You know, it's like that. It's like, it's, it's completely making a, a way for myself to set myself up for failure. I can go buy pretzels at Vaughn's or Safeway or someplace. I need to go to the bar. I'm just, I'm just going to go there for the pretzels. You know, I'm just going to go to the club because I like, you know, I just, I want to, you know, hear the music. No, no, you're not. Come on. Not just like that, you're not. You know? Seriously. Don't make a provision for the flesh. Don't intentionally set up your own specific blueprint for your personal failure. If you know that you struggle with what's on TV past midnight, when 11.45 comes around, don't be like, oh, I think, you know, the monologue at the very end is really good, so I'll stick around and watch TV a little bit longer. That's making provision for the flesh. That is setting yourself up for intentional failure. And we do this in relationships. Oh, look at this empty parking spot in this remote field over here. How'd this get here? 
Oh, the car turns off. Oh, it's dark. Marvin Gaye on the CD. Oh, this is amazing. Who could have thought, you know? But we do that. It just doesn't happen accidentally. We totally plan it out. And the Bible calls us out on it. It says, don't do that. Don't set yourself up for failure. But we do it. We do it all the time. So we need to check our actions. And one really good way of doing that is to get into a relationship where you have accountability with somebody else. I have a few of these relationships where I get to talk to people on the phone or we meet, and they hate it, they love it, but they hate it because every single week I get to ask all these nasty questions. And, you know, it's, oh, well, you know, it was, you know, you know. and you get that action, but, but what's, what's compelling about that is that when you have accountability, when you have someone that's in it with you, it's so much easier to fight the battle. There's so much freedom of saying, man, I totally blew it, and I need prayer. God can do a whole lot with that stuff. God can't do a whole lot when you sit and you just, it's your own little secret and no one knows about it but you and you think, I got everybody fooled. I got this figured out. I don't need to tell anybody. No one needs to know I'm doing this. That's bondage. That is so heavy. That is tying you down. The most freeing thing is to be in a relationship where you can come and say, this is where I am. This is my struggle and here, here I am. I'm not happy about it, but this is where it is. And you can have someone walk you through and encourage you and to see you through that. Be accountable to somebody. In several weeks, we're going to have a, a specific way for each one of us to find that relationship. We're working on it. We're working on those things where maybe we don't have somebody in our life right now that we can go and do that with. But we're going to have that be available here soon. I'm impressed because one of our members on our leadership, he was so concerned about his actions. He was so frustrated about the temptation that was, in his mind, unnecessary is that he sold his laptop. He's like, I just, I can't even deal with the, the temptation that's there. It's not, not necessarily that, you know, he's blown it, but it's just like the temptation is there, and it's real, and I just would rather not have the temptation. So I'm going to sell my laptop. I can't even imagine that. I live on a laptop. It's, you know, it's crazy. But what an amazing act of obedience to say, God, my heart with you is so much more important. And my eyes, I've made a covenant with you, God, to not defile my eyes, that I would rather take the things that cause me to struggle and give them back to you and get rid of them. That's crazy. The Bible says if your, hand, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your laptop causes you to sin, sell it. Pretty gnarly. I love that. That is what is uprising in this group, is that we're tired of these imitations. We're tired of these things that are, are complete distractions and, and complete falsehoods for God. Next is your theology. A lot of us think that, oh, well, we're really committed and we really love each other. You know, and we, we can kind of like justify that, but you, you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. If we're going to be a, a group that holds steadfast to this, we can't hold that mentality because God forbids it. God says premarital sex and extramarital sex, not going to happen. And for obvious reasons, now that we find out why. And we, we, we can't come and we can't rationalize and say, well, we're really committed though. I hear that. We're really committed, and we really love each other, and this is forever. I don't buy it, and God's not going to buy it. You, like, l- read the Bible. F- find out things. I mean, the whole—God is really concerned about marriage. Have you noticed that, that God calls Israel in the Old Testament his wife? Jesus calls us, his people, his bride. All that the Jesus did his first miracle at a wedding ceremony. All these like metaphors for Christ coming back for us have to do with a wedding and a ceremony. In Revelation 19, 
you and I, with Jesus, are participants at the marriage supper of the Lamb, whatever that means. But the basis of it is that, is that if Jesus needs a ceremony, we need a ceremony. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, it's there. Everything is concerned around this. And so to say, well, you know, marriage is, is just not that big of a deal. We're committed. We have the same exact thing. Why, why get the state involved in our business? And if we're going to be true to theology, I'm sorry, I've got to burst the bubble, is that we can't reconcile our, our ways out of that. It stinks. But that's God's nature. That's God's heart. The other thing, I heard a, a great quote by uh, a man named Cy Rogers, and he says, if you have not taken the risk and responsibility of marriage, you have no right to partake in the reward. And that says it all. If you have not taken the risk and responsibility of marriage, you have no right to participate in the rewards that come from it. And God's concerned about it. His whole entire coming for us is going to be in a marriage, wedding type thing. It's going to be great. And if Jesus needs one of those things for us to hook up, then we better need one for, you know, us. So, and the last thing, practically, is your attitude. What's your attitude like? Is the attitude, how far can I go? What's really legal? Or is it, how can I best keep this person from sin? What's your attitude? Is the attitude of, where's that line? And, because I want to get, like, right here to the line. Is that your attitude? If we're going to practically walk in the fruition of God's plan and purpose here, we need to be honest with ourselves and say that our, our actions and our, our attitude about our actions really matters. What is our mentality about it? Are we looking what's the easiest way to get off? Or are we looking to preserve someone's righteous, holy relationship with God? That's kind of a tough one. And I think that we come and say, okay, well, I know we can't have intercourse, but what can I do? You know, that's our attitude. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I spent 22 years of my life thinking that way. I was like, all right, so I, I get that, you know, but what can I do? And it's convicting because it's completely the wrong attitude. I'm going to come back to this one. So those are some of the, the practical things that we have. I want to encourage you guys, if you have questions or th- follow-up and feedback on this, um, to text them in. So now, so we have a couple practical things. You got that? We have the, the God's will for you to be satisfied with Jesus, your actions, your theology, and your attitude. All these things make up some practical ways in which we can process and deal with these things. You with me? Say amen if you are. All right. Next. So we, we finished last time, and, and kind of like this, is we, we didn't leave a whole lot of area for those of us who've kind of wandered in and experienced a lot of these things. We've tasted and experienced the imitations. And, and a lot of us, frankly, are still in it right now. I'm not dumb. You don't think I hear things? I mean, a lot of us are struggling through this stuff right now. That's where we're at. That's okay. And so we're going to talk about the, the sexual redemption side of things because I think that that's where we, we left that kind of had a couple questions. We use analogy along with the, the average male has 20 sexual partners and the female has, has six, is we took some duct tape. And you put the duct tape together, you cannot pull it apart. Actually, it was Gorilla Tape, even worse than duct tape. And then we, we took one piece and we put it on 20 different people and ripped it off. And we took the other piece and put it on six different people and ripped it off, all on jeans and leg hair and all that stuff. And we tried to take those two pieces and we tried to put them together and didn't have the stickiness. You could put it on, but you could tear it off. 
Now, the, the point of this, now listen carefully, the point is that you are forever cursed and doomed from having a holy, righteous union with your spouse. That's not the point. The point is that you bring all these things from other people into the relationship. That's the point. The point is that God meant two pieces to go together and to never come apart, never stick, and never have any knowledge of any other pieces or substance of tape. That is God's plan and purpose. That is his highest. But the reality of a lot of our lives is that we've, we've been stuck in a bunch of different areas. So we bring those two things together, and so that is what we call soul ties, is that you have these things stuck on you, these ties to your soul that are with people, experiences, relationships, memories, images, websites, things like that. Those are soul ties. Those are the things that come stuck off the tape that we bring into relationships. And the, the biggest point I think that was challenged to be made last week is, or last time is that God is completely able to redeem us from our sexual past. He is 100% able to do every single repair job on us to restore us. Absolutely, without question. Why? Because God's name is on the line. You think that if God really forgives, that you don't have the ability to attain the highest in marriage that he's promised in his character? You bet he does. It's a lie if you don't think so. So I want to completely debunk. I'm not trying to say that anybody who's ever messed around or anything like that is completely doomed. So why don't we take a look at it? If you have a Bible, let's open it up. We're going to open up to the book of Joel. Now, I give you guys all permission to look in the front of the Bible because I was confused on the order of Joel, too. It, it is really close to the New Testament. <laughs> it's one of the minor prophets. It's... Uh, if you go back from Matthew, it's like six or seven books back. So the book of Joel, and I'm going to read this out of the NASB version because I like this a little bit better. <clears throat> and so Joel, th- this is basically a, a, a prophetic uh, series of chapters. And, and Joel is prophesying about, and, and paints this picture of destruction, and paints this picture of of a world without sustenance for man or beast, that there is no food, there's no ability for individuals to survive in this world because it's been so ravaged. And uh, two things. is One is that I want to draw the metaphor for this to our bodies. Because in 1 Corinthians it says that our bodies are a temple to God. Every other sin is outside our physical bodies, but sexual sin is the only one that actually affects our physical bodies. And so that's the metaphor we're going to use for this. So Joel, chapter 2, verse 12. And if you don't have anything, I'll just read it. It says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Skip to verse 21. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain 
the early and latter rain as before. And the threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. Then I will make up to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Has eaten. The creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall have plenty to eat and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously for you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. And my people will never be put to shame. So the context of this is that Joel was painted this picture of complete destruction. These, the, the entire land, people, beasts, the animals, they were all destroyed because of this, this locust, and it lists them. The swarm locusts, the creeping locusts, the stripping, and the gnawing locusts. It's a lot of locusts. We don't have it here. But I think locusts are bad. I mean, the fact that there's no sustenance for people or beast is kind of bad. So he's saying that th- this is the picture, and, y- and you can read through this on your own and find the complete devastation that has been caused by this locust. And the locust in our lives is the sexual perversion of our culture, is the sexual perversion of the relationships that we have, is the sexual perversion of the ideas and the thoughts that we have about sex. That is the locust here. And here it says, For he has given you early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you the rain in the early and the latter as before. And the threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil, and I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. God is a restorative God. He is a redemptive God. He can bring back everything that was destroyed in our lives. He can bring back every last memory and destroy it. He can break every last soul tie. He can, he can do everything that has been taken away from us, and he can bring complete restoration and provide an even greater abundance for us. That is how awesome our God is. Is that he can take things that were once destroyed in, in complete destruction disarray, and he can bring them forward and make them new. What's great is that in verse 13 it says, And rend your heart and not your garments. God only wants our heart. For him to do all that, he's not saying, break up with your, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, Get rid of your life. You know, you can do that stuff. That stuff might be good, but all, all God's saying is like, you have an adulterous heart. Your heart has been sold out to all these different things. I just want your heart. Leave the garment. Leave the offering. Leave the religion. Come to me with your heart, and I will restore you. Come to me with your heart. That's all he wants. And he'll provide complete restoration. You don't go to hell because you break the rules. You go to hell because you're not redeemed to God. doesn't matter the rules that you broke. If you are not redeemed back to God, if you do not have that relationship and that fulfillment and that redemption of your life, then that is the absence of God. That is hell. Breaking the rules, falling short of the standard, blowing it utterly and completely is not what's going to send you to hell. What is going to drive that is the fact that you don't redeem yourself back to God. And let him do this. God doesn't say, stop sleeping with your girlfriend. God says, stop resisting me and walk with me. He's not telling you, don't do these things. He's not, God's not this big single finger wagging in your face and saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He's just saying, come with me. I, 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 know, I know about that. Just come with me. I, I know you do that. Just, just come over here. 
And God's saying, if, if you let me invade your life, I'll take care of that other stuff. Just first invite me in. Let me invade your life. Let me come in there. I want your heart, not your garment, not your works, not your money, not anything. I just want your heart. God's ability to love and restore is bigger than our ability to fail. God's ability to love and restore is far better than our ability to fail. We always need to hold on to that. That's truth. So, let me take questions. So how far is too far? Oh, perfect, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, how far is too far? Well, let's... We, we had a question about masturbation la- last time. And someone was asking, what do you think about that? Which was a nice, friendly, easy question that someone sent, and I appreciate that. Um, and, and I used a verse, it's out of uh, 1 Corinthians six twelve. If you have a Bible, let me just go there real quick. Because I mentioned it last time. 1 Corinthians 6.12. And again, these are good things just to jot down. Come back later. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Right? So we talked about how with masturbation that you have thousands and thousands and thousands of years in which the Bible could have addressed this one particular issue uh, for us guys. Or, or girls. And, uh, but it doesn't mention it. Area that we walk in like this gray space that we look at and we say, okay, well, you know, God doesn't explicitly say this, so it must be good. And while that's okay, I think this verse kind of sums it up is that all things, and the NIV says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Okay? So I think maybe for the question of that, you know, well, how far is too far? It's like, Hey, all things are beneficial, but not all things are permissible. Or all things are, all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. And we think like that, it's like, okay, so I know that God draws a hard line in the sand that says, don't have intercourse. Sweet. That means I can go all the way to third base. I just can't hit it home, right? Doesn't that your mind go that way? So how far is too far? So I used this this verse last time, and, and I think it's interesting if you read on. Let me read this. Do you not know that one who joins himself to a harlot is one with her body? For he says, the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. We talked about that before. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And here's the big part. For you have been bought with a price. You have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It's kind of heavy. So, the question is, how far is too far? We see here that all things are permissible. Sweet! But glorify God in your body. Dang it. What does that mean? That means that you need to think about your actions. Is God being glorified in what you're doing? You know, if you're, you know, coming up to first, can you just say, praise Jesus, God is glorified right now, sanctified, hallelujah, awesome. I don't know. 
That'd be kind of awkward if you did that, right? But that's what God's saying. He's like, glorify me with your body. That we need to honor God with our bodies. That our bodies are a temple. That God dwells within us. And that, that every sin besides sexual sin is outside of our body. But this is the one that's in. And so he's saying, honor God with your body. I might just leave it there. I might leave it to just let you interpret that. I think it's an interesting question, though, because it's almost as if I came to you and I said, how much money can I steal from you? Get on to it. What? How much money can you steal from me? Before what? How long have you been stealing money from me? You know, it's like your reaction is like, you know, is your reaction is how far can I get with this girl? Or is it who am I? And what is your attitude there? It's really interesting. How far is too far? I think that goes back to our to our attitude, but I would say that that God draws a pretty distinct line here that says that our bodies are meant for him and that we need to glorify him with it. Have another one about masturbation. Thanks. <laughs> uh, basically, I, I'll use the same text again. Is that God doesn't say yes or no, but he, he leaves it up to us to, to be in life. And I would say this, is that, you know, let's say that you've been married forever, or not forever, let's say you've been married for 15, 20 years or something, and, and a spouse dies. Are you, are you telling me that because that marriage covenant that God had in that husband, that no longer would he be able to experience orgasm? I mean, that's lonely. I mean, you have all these different things in there. I, I can't see God saying because that a spouse died, that, that, that masturbation is so bad that that would be off limits. I don't know. It, it seems to me that God, God's heart is, is not to define the, these, these walls about what you can and can't do within this, this topic. I, I do say that our minds, God says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And when you take that in accordance with masturbation is, you know, lusting after a woman with our mind is adultery of the heart. And, and are those two compatible? I don't think so. I think those are, are two things that are really hard to, to bring together. So, the rest, uh, I think that's it. Another one relating to how far is too far. <laughs> cool. Any other thoughts? Anybody can, can toss in. I'm almost done. Come forward. And I want to do something here tonight that I, uh, I felt pressed on my heart tonight as we wander into this thing about what is God's heart. What are some ways that, that we can identify fence posts and boundaries and guidelines for us? And also walk through the redemptive heart of God. Seeing that God is completely redeeming and completely able to restore. And so we talked about these things about soul ties. And soul ties are, again, not one of us is without them. And so while the band gets going here... Um, I want to do something a little more adventurous here. Is I want us as a community, as a group, to all partake in the breaking of a soul tie. It doesn't matter if it is a struggle with pornography. It doesn't matter if it was a, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. It doesn't matter if it was sexual intercourse. It doesn't matter if it was fornication. It doesn't matter what it is. All of us walk around with soul ties. All of us walk around with fragments of ourselves because we've given pieces and parts out to others individuals. And so all of us, every last one of us, is wrestling for the battle for our heart. 
and parts of it has been given away. So what I want to do here is I want to have us all stand. And I want to lead you guys in a prayer. And I'll lead you guys and and just allow the Holy Spirit to come and redeem us because God is able to restore the damage from the locusts. So here's what I want to do is I want to read this and I want you guys to repeat after me. It doesn't need to be anything overly specific. No one's going to call you out, but I just want us as a community and a body here to recognize that all of us have these issues to bring them before God. So repeat after me. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for the authority of your word. And in the name of Jesus, I command every portion of my soul, my thoughts, my will, my emotions, my personality and my mind, my heart and all of me, spirit, soul, and body that has been fragmented, torn, broken, or cursed to come back into its proper place, to be healed, every piece of my heart to be returned, my soul to be restored in every bondage and related soul tie. Sorry. Every piece of my heart to be returned and my soul to be restored and every bondage and related soul tie to be completely broken, destroyed, and totally detached from me in the name of Jesus. I give back everything I took and I take back everything that was taken back, taken from me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I ask you that you heal my heart and guard it by your power and your love and keep my mind and heart through Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we commit this time and lift our voices in, in praise to God. Thank you guys for walking through this. I, I believe there's significance in these actions. I believe there's significance in these prayers. And when we bring them before God and we confess and ask him to heal, that he would do that. If there's anybody that is needing of restoration, if anybody needs prayer, I'll be on the side and my wife will be on the side. We'd love to pray for you if you need that restoration.